Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. You may be seated. There's a little bit more than that to the sermon, but it, um, it, it, it's a wonderful summary, I think, of this passage. Uh, two passages that we'll look at, actually. There, there is blessing. Uh, in the biblical word, blessing has the idea of a fullness, flourishing, enrichment, right? It's not, not just sort of a, a blessing that kind of rolls right off. There, there is a lot of wonderful stuff in, in God's word and in the passage we're going to look at today. Uh, my name is Adam Brown, for those that I, I haven't met before. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. Uh, our pastor, Justin, is on a sabbatical for roughly two months this summer, I think seven or eight weeks all total, and we've begun on a series in Proverbs. Uh, Brandon started us last week. Uh, we introduced the topic of wisdom, and it, the situation today is it's our, our second week in this same series. Uh, we had a definition of wisdom. I think it's a good one that we're going to build on today. The, the complication uh, is what, what does wisdom look like? Right? How do I do it? And there is an implication in that, in that question that Christians, right, studiers of God's word, we can be effective at wisdom or we can be ineffective at it. My position is that scripture, this passage, uh, it illustrates the results of a life filled with wisdom. It also lists the characteristics, right? What are the marks? And then maybe more practically, how do you do it, right? Scripture will explain how to practice scripture or how to practice wisdom. There are very real benefits to this, right? They're practical, they're spiritual. And I use those two words just to try and give a complete thought. They're they're very much related, Uh, But we'll look at them today. And if you take hold of them, right, over the long haul, if we're talking about disciplines, we're talking about routine, uh, it will, they will, the fruits of wisdom will enrich your life. Uh, So the action I'd ask of you is is to listen with the intent of doing. Uh, James tells us that in his letter in the New Testament, uh, that there is blessing in the doing. And so all we're going to do today, right, this, this time is the knowing, the talking, the studying, and that's good, and it is right. Uh, But if you want the blessing, it it's in the doing, right? It's what you do when you leave. So we're going to look at wisdom in, in three sections, right? The, the results of wisdom, uh, the security of wisdom, and then the practice of wisdom, okay? The results, the security, and the practice of wisdom. And so if you have the notes or if you're reading along in Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13. So Proverbs 3, we'll start in verse 13. Uh, the definition I think that we can hold on to, right? Last week, uh, my summary, but very much the theme of Brandon's sermon. Uh, wisdom is being skilled at life based on your reverence for the Lord, right? Those two thoughts go together. There's a skill, there's a contemplation, there's a deliberateness, there's a consideration in wisdom. And all of those things flow from, right, a fear of the Lord, and that, that's a definition, it's helpful. I think we need a picture, right? And there are probably a lot of different pictures we could use in scripture to get to that idea. What, what, is, what is the fear of the Lord? Uh, Jesus gave a parable, and I think it's helpful here. One of his parables in the New Testament were about two men that went to pray. They went up to the temple. Uh, the first was a Pharisee, uh, and his prayer was arrogant. It was prideful, it was proud, self-sufficient. Right? And in contrast to the Pharisee, the other man was a tax collector, 
And it says that when they, they went to pray, the Pharisees sort of stood apart from others, made a, a show and a pretense. Uh, the tax collector said it stood at a distance. He didn't approach. Uh, he stood, he couldn't lift his eyes. So that was typical. You would pray looking up, right? He couldn't do that and he beat his breast. God be merciful to me, a sinner, right? That man, he, he knew his sin, right? He knew the one that he was addressing in prayer. Uh, he knows that God hates sin and will judge sin. That's a reality that scripture holds out very starkly to us, right? God has made provision for that in Christ, but in that moment, right, in that place of prayer, he knew his sin, he knew the one whom he was addressing, he knew the holiness and the power and the righteousness of God, and that moved him to this prayer of mercy, right? And that's the basis on which we approach God. Be merciful to me. Right? I don't come with claims of self-sufficiency, I just come asking, Lord, for your mercy. I think that's a good picture of the fear of the Lord, right? We can come with love, we can come with hope, a Christian can, you should come with fear, right? We don't grow out of that, we grow deeper in that, and that's the word that Scripture gives to us, a holy reverence, right, for who God is. Uh, it's a strange mixture, to be sure, but it's time and again, all throughout Scripture, where that mixture of our awe and our reverence, and yes, our fear of God, uh, for the Christian can be mixed with hope and thankfulness and reverence, right? That's the heart of the fear of the Lord, right? So keep that in mind. When we talk about skillfulness, we talk about wisdom, we talk about what it looks like, it flows from that foundation, right? The, the, you'll miss the rest of the message, the rest of the, uh, the meat in this scripture if we lose sight of that, uh, that heart, right? That foundation. Uh, in chapter 3, I think Solomon, the teachers of Israel, parents, right, the folks who were instructing uh, the youth, uh, they wanted people to understand something of how uh, transcendent wisdom is. Right? God's wisdom runs deep. Right? So jump to verses 13 and 19. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 19. We're going to start there. Uh, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Um, one of the first things that you notice there is that God is using wisdom in order to call creation into existence. Right? So wisdom, God's wisdom, precedes creation, right? It's older than the creation that we live in. It's more foundational than the creation we live in. Right? And we know it just because of the sequence that Scripture gives us. God used it in order to create. Right? And so the references here to the deep and to the water and to the dew is, is very cool. And this theme is drawn out a little bit more in Proverbs in chapter 8, if you want to go look at it, where there, um, uh, God's use of wisdom is really full right, in chapter 8. So we just get a snippet of it here in this introduction. But in the context of, of these passages, where it talks about the deeps breaking open, uh, the clouds dropping down their dew, uh, if you think about junior high science, right, there, there's a cycle that works where water evaporates from the oceans or the seas, uh, it goes up into the clouds, condensation forms, rain falls, right, that's kind of a cool cycle. Uh, one of the, the, the very interesting things is the, uh, the ocean water uh, leaves the salt in the ocean, right? So the, the salinity is removed when water goes into the atmosphere, condensation. We get fresh water, right? That sustains life and plant and animals. That's just cool, right? It's just interesting, right? Who would have thought that condensation, evaporation, removal of uh, salinity 
is the way that, one way, that God would use to establish climate and to provide for creation, right? There's wisdom, there's design, right? There's skill in the way that God fashioned creation. And so if you go stand in front of the ocean, if you go stand in front of uh, the Grand Canyon, you, sh- you feel small, you see the scope, you see the beauty of what's been done, and that's an appropriate feeling, Right? That there is design and intelligence and in skill in what we see on a massive scale. Right? And so when Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his work, they pour forth speech, that, that those aren't empty words. Right? If we slow down to absorb, right, to look at what we see just in natural creation, uh, there is skill. Right? There's wisdom. And that's the foundation that the teachers want the students to understand, right? That that sort of skill, that sort of intricacy is mixed with a deep and reverent fear for God. And a little bit of a sidebar, God fears his own name, right? God takes pleasure and delight in himself, right? And so when he made the earth and we come behind and we say, wow, this is fantastic, that's what we were made for, right? That was God's intent, right? And so they they work together. So here's the point, right, outside of, or building on the idea that wisdom came first, right, God used it, it's, it's older than, than what we know, um, that same wisdom is what God makes available to us to live life, okay? So if you hold these two verses together, you see them in your note, uh, in verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens, right? But then go back to verse 13 that we, was read when I walked up. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Same words, right? They were there in the beginning. God used them. Those of us who, by God's grace, come and find wisdom, right, and find understanding, there is great blessing in that, right? The parameters that God used to establish creation govern our lives and our experience of creation. Does that make sense? Right? So if you live your life in opposition to God's created order, there's going to be friction. Right? It's going to hurt. Right? If you live your life consistent with God's design and plan, right, that's a better place to be. Right? Don't hear me say your life is going to be better roses. That's not true. Right? But of those two alternatives, right, getting your life under the authority and the design that God exercised when he fashioned all of this, Right? And you come under that with a place of reverence, right? with a place of worship in your heart, seeking what it is um, that he makes known of himself, you, you begin to see how that makes sense, right? how that will begin to order your steps, shape your thinking, change the way you talk. Right? It's going to put your life on a trajectory that's consistent with the design that undergirds everything we know in creation. We're not born with that wisdom, right? Uh, there, there are different schools of thought and other faiths, other religions. Eastern religions talk about meditating and looking within and emptying yourselves. That's, that is not what scripture will hold out to you. Uh, if, if you look inside yourself, it, you know, you're not going to find much help there, right? We come to receive, right? Happy is the one who receives, who finds, Right, who's on the receiving end of the wisdom that God makes available to us. Uh, blessed is the one who finds it. 
the one who gets it. And then look in verse 18. Um, I'm not going to dwell on it, but the, the proverb personifies wisdom, talks about wisdom as a she here. Um, so in verse 18, she, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Uh, it makes you think a little bit about the garden, right? the tree of life that was there in the beginning. God is providing for us in a way that sustains life. Uh, the words I want you to focus on those, those who lay hold of her. Right? It's not those who walk by and take a look, right? those who have a short conversation. Right? Laying hold has the idea of perseverance. Right? There's a commitment that I am making right? because I don't have it within me. It doesn't come naturally, so I commit myself to the pursuit and to the practice of wisdom. Right? So we don't have it inside us. By God's grace, we receive it. Our part is to persevere, is to hold, is to commit, is to work, right? There is effort, there is discipline in the practice of godly wisdom. Um, One of the things I think it is helpful uh, to lay out, and I think scripture bears this out, I'm happy to share some more references if it's helpful. Um, I used to think about, all right, well, if God designed, if God has wisdom and I'm trying to find it, it it behooves me to ask God questions, And, and that's true. Right? Uh, I would ask questions like, you know, Lord, where should I go to college? Lord, who should I marry? Uh, God, should I quit my job and go to a new job? Uh, nothing inherently wrong with those questions. Right? I think there is wisdom in this sense of the word, reverence, um, focused on trying to align myself with the way that God made creation, to ask, um, Lord, how can I honor you in these different circumstances? I think it's a better question. Um, so for instance, Lord, I don't like my job right now, but God, I want to be content because I have Christ within me. Lord, would you help me to show contentment at work to model Christ just in my demeanor, just in my exchange? What is it that I can do, Lord, to honor you where I am today? I'm not telling you that God says you must stay where you are forever. I think a question that starts with how can I honor the Lord in whatever phase it is, work, job, relationships, money, different things like that, you'll hear more of that. That's a better place to start because of this definition of wisdom, right? Reverence for the Lord, right? I think those things connect a little bit better, right? So, um, Lord, would you give me spouse? I'm really lonely, then I'll be fine. God designed marriage. It's a good thing. But maybe a question here, Lord, why do I desire marriage as much as I do? If I'm honest, Lord, do I desire marriage more than you? Right? There can be helpful questions just to start with, Lord, what in this situation, what in this decision is there to give you honor? Right? That's the foundation. So let's look at some of the benefits of wisdom. And it, it's interesting, Scripture is, is not ashamed. Right? There are some very clear benefits that Scripture holds out right here. So if you look in verse 14 and 15, Uh, She's more precious than jewels. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches, honor. So in 14 and 15, wisdom has incredible worth. There is a ton of value in the wisdom that God gives, right? In his wisdom. Uh, Scripture tells us that it's worth more than riches. And it doesn't say riches by themselves are evil and bad. But the benefits of wisdom, right? What wisdom gives are even better. Right? Strangely enough, riches can be a gift of wisdom. Right? But the idea there is if you had to choose between riches and wisdom, you would give your bottom dollar 
to get wisdom, right? To get a fear of the Lord, to get a heart that is wired towards asking, how can I honor you, Lord? That's the idea. That's the exchange. Um, So longevity, reputation, and the the picture of wisdom with two hands, you know, gifts in each, giving, the idea there is generosity, right? That God doesn't give sparingly, that God doesn't give stingy uh, with the benefits of wisdom, Uh, In verses 16, 18, and 22, life, vitality, mentioned three different times, right? That that life is amplified, life is enriched because wisdom governs that life, right? So I can't stress how foundational reverence for the Lord is. I can't can't overstress that, but picture in your mind, you you guys may know some folks or think, think, you know, maybe Bible heroes, folks who who you know, you are persuaded, their desire is to honor the Lord. You don't question that. If God gives that man or woman riches, what are they going to do with it? If God gives that man or woman reputation, stature, what is that man or woman going to do with it? They're very powerful. Right? If, I, if I had you know, Bill Gates' wealth, I would hope that God would train me to use the wealth in a way that honors the Lord. Right? So the foundation and the, the gift can't be separated, but man, they're powerful when they go together, right? when they're all yielded. Uh, now, there is a risk of idolatry in that, like anything else in creation. If we make an absolute end out of money or reputation or out of wealth, yeah, that's dangerous, that's bad. Anything that we elevate to a place of worship uh, is a form of idolatry, but boy, they can be powerful when they are disciplined, right? When they come under the authority of who God is. A couple of examples just where we see some of this in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, Solomon is probably the most obvious, right? God blessed him with more wisdom than any, any person before or since. Uh, he had wealth, he had honor, he had reputation. God gave it to him in abundance. Uh, a smaller example, but I think maybe closer to home, uh, Paul. Right, so the Apostle Paul had a dramatic conversion when Christ called him into his service, uh, gave away essentially all of his livelihood, all of his standing from where he was in his community to becoming uh, this, this apostle for Christ. Um, Acts records the encounter where uh, Paul went to Mars Hill, right? and he says, men of Athens, and he has a, a discourse, he has a conversation with some of the folks there. And uh, he began that conversation. He said, I, I walked around. I see how religious you guys are. I noticed an altar that's inscribed. It says uh, an altar to an unknown God. Right? And so there's just a tactic there. Um, I, I see how religious you are. Right? There, there, there's sort of a, a cordial affirmation. I see where your interests are. And, and you have this one unknown God. Let, let me tell you about that God. Right. We, we know what Paul's heart is, right? He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul had a deep and abiding fear of the Lord, right? But he has a wise tactic in establishing rapport, right? When he begins this, this discussion of who Christ is with these Greeks who are very philosophical, right? He finds a little on-ramp, a little board, um, springboard into the conversation, right? Just a small example. That's the kind of thing. How can I honor Christ? Well, I can sort of use this in this setting with these people to point the conversation that way, right? Small example. Those, those are some of the results of wisdom. Let, let's look now at how secure one can become. 
right? And again, I, I, I've struggled as I've prepared this message because I don't want people to hear health and wealth and prosperity, right? I'm, I'm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bang the drum on reverence for the Lord. Uh, but nonetheless, right, it's, it's, it's God's word where he holds out security to us now in this passage, all right? So in verses 21 to 26, uh, 21 says, my son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Uh, if you're a parent, have you ever said something to your child, son, I'm telling you, if you will hold on to this, it will do you good. Right? And as they get older and you can't control what they're doing, uh, that yearning gets stronger. Right? Because you know we've been down the road just a little bit longer than they have. We've made some of the mistakes we hope they avoid. Right? Hold on to this. That's the tone, that's the heart of this message. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the, the feeling, right? The vibe, if I can use that word. This, this matters. It's not just flowery language. Don't lose sight of these. Keep hold of sound wisdom and discretion. And then in verse 22, uh, what does it say? There'll be life for your soul and adornment for your neck, right? There is a reason that parents and teachers hold out wisdom to students and children. There is a reason that Scripture holds out wisdom right, to, the, uh, to the disciple of Christ. Right? It matters. It will impact you. So what are they? Um, depending on your translation, right, the term adornment or ornament, it, uh, you, know, you think of a Christmas tree. Right? The tree's good. looks nice. looks better when I put the ornament on. Right? Closer to home... Um, a couple of years ago, several of us went on a trip to Israel uh, to look around, see the history, to uh, walk where Christ walked. Right? We actually got to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, walk around where we think the Sermon on the Mount might have taken place. I mean, it was cool. It was very cool. It was awesome. Uh, to show up there on my own with people that don't speak English, it would have been a struggle, right? We had a guide named Abraham who, uh, not a believer, but a wonderful man, uh, very, very knowledgeable, uh, grew up in the area, right? Very seasoned. And he had been doing this work for decades, right? Guiding tours. And this, this happens every day, six or eight times. We would show up, let's say, at lunch about three minutes before 10 other busloads of other people, right? So 200 people would come in right behind us as we got to the lunch spot, 200 people would show up behind us 15 minutes after we got to the Garden of Gethsemane, right, and just get flooded, right? And the whole vibe changed. You can kind of put yourself in that mindset, oh, wow, what would it have been like to be here when Christ was praying? Like you're having those moments, 200 people walk by and the vibe changes, right? It's different, right? He spoke Hebrew fluently, right? He had some Arabic that he was passable in, right? So our trip would have been interesting and cool on its own if we'd shown up, right? But when we have a guide who knows what he's doing, Right? The trip was enriched. The trip was enhanced. Right? It was just a different level because of the guide. That's the idea here. Right? That as you go about life, life is a good thing. Life will be much, much better when you come under the authority of God and you orient yourself with His holiness, with His goodness, with His call. Right? That's what you were made for. Right? And so a life that comes under that is going to be that much more enhanced, that much more enriched. Hold on to it, right? Don't let go of wisdom and discernment. It matters. Here again, the security that I mentioned, if you look in verses 23 and 24, 
Then you'll walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. And if you lie down, you'll not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Right? Again, not a promise that you have a bed of roses, but when you have the peace of God that transcends all understanding, right? when your conscience is clear before the Lord, not because you're perfect, but because you're yielded, right? uh, as opposed to I'm embezzling things at work, which scenario are you going to sleep better? Right? Real impact. I mean, you, you ought to sleep better if your <laughs> conscience is clear before God. You have problems, right, if you sleep peacefully and you're embezzling. Right? That's, that's bad. Right? But that, that's the idea here, that a life yielded to the authority and the direction and the inspiration of God, when we're asking those questions, Lord, how do I live here? How do I act here? How do I speak in a way that's going to give you honor in this conversation, in this relationship, when that's our guiding mission? Right? It creates stability. Right? Not a life free from pain, but a security, right? a knowledge that, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. That's the security that Scripture is talking about here, as opposed to the life where I kind of know best, right? where I'm going to make my own way. That's the security that you trade off. Right? That's what sin will rob you, will take from you. That's what pride and arrogance will break right? when you step outside of the authority of God. Security, peacefulness, stability, those things flow from a commitment to godly wisdom. Right? So again, it's not a vending machine. We don't just say, yeah, I want some more of that. Right? It starts with the foundation, like the, the uh, tax collector, reverent fear, right? hope in who God is. So if you're, if you're like me, then you say, well, that sounds good. I like it. I can definitely use it. I would like for my life to be enriched and blessed with the wisdom of God. How do I do it? Right? That, that's where our minds go. That's where our questions lead. And Paul gives us some instruction. Right? And not, it's not limited to Ephesians, but there's some very specific things in Ephesians chapter 5 that help us get at this question, how do I do it? Okay? So if you'll flip with me to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll, we'll start in verse 15. Just a couple of words of background on Ephesians. Uh, Paul wrote it with the design that it would move from church A to church B to church C, right? It would circulate. And the idea was it was relevant not for just one church, but for the church, right? So the relevance that it had for the first church in Ephesus and those around it, same relevance today, right? That, that's important, right, to understand that what he had to say then is an instruction, right, to us today. First. 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, do, do you hear the same sort of principle in that? Look carefully. Think about what it is that you're doing. And when you get to the end of this passage, we'll see the connection, reverence for Christ. Right? But we're thinking carefully about the way that we live. Right. What's so important when we get to this verse in really chapter 4, 5, and 6 is the first part of Ephesians, which we're not going to spend any time on, is all about the richness that we have in Christ. Right? It's all about theology. Right? Good stuff. The rest of the book is in light of who Christ is and who you have, right? who you're united to as a Christian, how then should you live? 
Right? That's the foundation. So when he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but at wise, it's in light of who Christ is. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Right? So making the best use of the time, it's very much the idea of redemption. Right? Optimizing something, putting it back the way it was supposed to be, because what you see now, right, it's, it's broken. When it says the days are evil, that's sin. Right? Do you have to look very far to find brokenness in your day-to-day? It's everywhere. Right? Work, school, friendships, family. You know, certainly online, gosh, we can find brokenness online and that, that quickly. Right? So Paul says, look carefully Right? As you get up in the morning, you think about where it is that you're going. Right? You know you're going to get into brokenness. That's the world we live in. Think carefully in light of who Christ is and who you are as his child. How do you redeem it? Right? That's your question. This is, the, this is one of two uh, cruxes, if that's a word. Right? One of two keys here in this passage. How do I do wisdom? This is it. Right? In light of who Christ is, how do I enter in and bring Christ to a situation right? to redeem brokenness? Um, whether it's in your conduct, whether you have a conversation with somebody, whether you're just giving them a glass of water, right? but how do I represent Christ in a broken place? Um, Christ himself is a wonderful example here, and frankly beyond this, uh, but the, uh, the verse, or I'm, I'm sorry, the passage I'm thinking of is uh, Lazarus. Right? If you remember New Testament, uh, Jesus loved Lazarus. They were friends. And folks came to Christ and said, Lazarus is, is deathly sick. He needs you. And at this point, Christ had performed many miracles. Right? So when people came to Christ to tell him that, it's not just, hey, have you heard the news? We've seen you do miraculous things. We know that you can fix this. Your friend Lazarus, who you love, is sick. Right? Do you hear the expectation? Right? In the, yeah. Right? And what does Christ say? What does he do? So because he loved them, right, he stayed put for two days. Right? So he's given this information, and he decides to not run to Lazarus, but stay put. Two days. Uh, in the meantime, Lazarus dies. Right? Then, then he goes, and Mary and Martha say, well, it's too late, but if you'd have been here, right, you could have fixed this. Right? And, and sort of one, one level below that, why, why didn't you? Right? Why didn't you? Um, Christ, in perfect wisdom, right? wisdom that certainly transcends our own, when he decided to stay put for two days, he knew Lazarus would pass. He knew the questions would come. Right? He put himself in a place, certainly to draw attention to himself. Right? And so when he raises Lazarus from the dead, gosh, not only does it transform the life of Lazarus, Mary, Martha, right? people understand the divinity and the power, the miraculous um, ability that Christ had, has, um, we're, we're talking about it now, 2,000 years later, right? Somebody wrote it down, right? So just think of that when Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as unwise. Make the best use of each day because they're evil. 
that, that's just like kind of technicolor HD example. He'd let someone die in order to raise them up again, to proclaim his divinity, to give us a record. Boy, did he use the most, make the most of that situation. Right? That's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit beyond us, right? But that's the picture. That's the idea. When we come into the situation, right, how are we Christ to a broken world, right? I can't give you the list and, you know, here's what it is at school. Here's what it is at work. Here's what it is in your marriage. But when your heart begins each morning with the idea, Lord, I'd like to honor you today. I spent some time meditating on who you are. And I know I'm about to step into some brokenness. My wife and I had an argument last night, and I, I didn't go to her and apologize. Lord, I should. Right? There's wisdom in protecting the tone and the temperature of, of a marriage. Right? Of being quick, right, to be the first one to take ownership of my wrong. Just, just one example. But the, we, we have to practice it, right? Otherwise... I'm guilty of just going on autopilot, right? I know what I'm doing Monday through Friday. I know what I'm doing on the weekend. I kind of coast through another seven days or just, they're just gone, right? Wisdom is, this is where wisdom starts. I wake up, I think about who God is, and I think about how can I redeem the brokenness that he's going to put me in. That's my mandate. That's my call, right? And you begin to think like that, life looks different. Life looks different. And the result, everything that Proverbs just told us, Again, think that through. Somebody that lives a life that you might know for decades that lives that way, what's their reputation going to be in your eyes? That's a godly man. That's a godly woman. Right? You see the blessing that sort of results in the doing. Right? That's the idea. That's the skill. Very, very practical. Right? But it takes our humility. It takes our devotion. It takes us laying hold of Christ, right? And that, that's really where Paul goes in the rest of this, this letter. Um, and, and very striking language here. Uh, in verse 17, uh, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And then Paul dries, draws a really interesting comparison between drunkenness and being spirit-filled. Right? And if, if you got the notes, I tried to lay this out. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, and I'm going to paraphrase, which leads to abundant life. Okay, we'll come back to that. But there, there is a, a very stark chain of events, right? So th- this is not a message on drinking. God gave wine. You can enjoy wine. Paul's condemning drunkenness, okay? So an excess of alcohol will impair your faculties. Right? Your judgment is diminished. And... Real sexual debauchery can result. Right? Any form of debauchery can result. Car wrecks, things you wish you hadn't said, right? and, and, and in a worst case, death. Right? So you, what you have is a foreign power asserting itself over you. You come under the authority of that foreign power. Debauchery results. So don't do that. Right? The flip side of that, Christian, because this is to the church, be filled with the Spirit. Right, be filled with the Spirit. Same, same thing. This is a cool parallel. A foreign power, something that's not innate, comes in, establishes dominance. Right? That influence permeates, 
And rather than your judgment being impaired, your judgment is enhanced because your heart's desire is to honor Christ. Right? And abundant life results. Right? So you can see why he uses drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit kind of as, as flip sides right, of one another. Right? Don't get drunk on yourself. Don't get drunk on your ego. Don't get drunk on your money. Don't get drunk on wine. When you give yourself to something else that asserts itself and dominates your thinking, your judgment is impaired. Don't do that. Right? Be filled with the Spirit. Right? Then he gives very clear marks, not easy, but clear marks of what a Spirit-filled life looks like. This is what I call the abundant life. And so if you look in... Let's see, uh, verses 19. Uh, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, and then submitting to one another. Right? So there are three things there, all of which are not separate commands. They are what flow from the only command, which is to be filled with the Spirit. And so he says, if you are, if you obey, right, if you come under the authority of the Spirit, here are the marks, here are the things that result. That's the command, be filled. So how do you know that it's happening? The first is that we address one another in worshipful ways, right? We join together, we worship together, and I find it encouraging, and I know you do too, to be in this room hearing other people worship. Particularly if I know kind of what, what's been going on in their lives, right? Good things, bad things, and I hear them worship, that's encouraging, Right? I can also just sit down and have a conversation with them. Right? Have you heard what Christ did in this situation? Or, hey, what's going on in your family? But, but that is an element of worship when we address one another in a, in a spirit-led sort of way, right? in a musical way. One of the things I learned as I was studying this particular verse here, where it says, make melody to the Lord with your heart. Uh, the Greek word making melody, I, I probably won't pronounce it right, salo, uh, the picture is strings and strings being plucked. So if you think about maybe a harp, right? So if you have a master musician that knows what, what he's doing, or maybe a, a piano, right? So you hit the key, it strikes the string, and the string does what it's supposed to, right? It makes melody. So when you bring your life under the dominance, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit begins to pluck heart strings, your conversation changes. Right? It just results because you're doing what you were made for. Right? You've come under the authority of the one who knows how to pluck heartstrings better than you do. Right? That's the idea, is that your, your life takes on you know, a, a mixture of sort of a spiritual, musical quality because it is so permeated with the Holy Spirit. Right? Pervasive thankfulness. Give thanks in all things always. I'm not thankful for the job loss itself. I am thankful to be a child of God. This, I don't know what I'm going to do in the job loss. I'll figure it out. I may go hungry, but God walks with me. Right? I know that he is with me present in the moment. I can be thankful for his presence in the middle of fill in the blank. Right? I'm not thankful for the pain and the suffering. I'm thankful for the one who will redeem it and who's there with me in the middle of it, giving thanks for all things always. Right? Pervasive thankfulness. This last one, if those two haven't rubbed, right, this one will, uh, submitting to one another. Right? If we're all unified around Christ, right, around a fear of the Lord, I'm happy to submit to you 
you're happy to submit to me. The unity of the church is protected because we submit to the Lord. When I don't submit, it's because I don't like what you want. I like what I want. And we, you know, breaks apart. Right? So I, I am convinced that, that what undergirds this fear of the Lord right, and, and these characteristics of being spirit-filled, when we are spirit-filled, it's because we're focused on Christ. Right? We spend time thinking about who He is. That's what the first part of Ephesians is about. And we start to connect the dots. Lord, I, I know what you've done for me. I know how you've redeemed me. I, I know that my affections have changed. I used to like money. I used to like pornography. I used to like anger, right? Now, now I love you. And I'm not perfect. But because I love you, because I want to honor you, my affections change, right? Things are different. Right? That, that gives, you know, satisfaction. And it's a weak word, right? But heartstrings are plucked. Life is designed to be lived that way. Right? So when you come into that place, right, by God's grace, when we yield ourselves to who he is, deep satisfaction results in things like worship, things like thankfulness, things like submission result. Right? So that's the how-to. Think carefully about how you live in a broken world. Be filled with the Spirit. Right? So think through, what does that look like? Well, maybe carving out some time to worship and meditate. Maybe setting down whatever it is, the stuff I'm reading, the stuff I'm watching, the things that are driving me elsewhere. So if I'm angry, if I'm frustrated, if I'm confused, it's good to ask why, right? What are you taking in, like wine leading to debauchery, what are you taking in that's producing that? Because if you're taking in Christ in sort of huge measures, big gulps, this is what it looks like. And so for those of us that are Christians, when, when I read Paul's letter, I say, well, what does my life look like? There's a gap. Doesn't take long to start listing out the things that are frustrating, confusing, painful, anger, whatever it is, right? Paul says, this is what it means to be wise. Lay it all down. Yield yourself. Be filled with the Spirit. Right? So if you can't answer that question, if, that, if you're a Christian, but this is not you, why? Right? That's the takeaway. If you're not a Christian, and, and I've spoken mostly this morning assuming we are, if you're not a Christian, right? if you have not come to the place where you have yielded yourself, repented, humbled yourself before Christ to ask for his forgiveness, that's the one and only act of wisdom that you need to focus on. Whatever it is that you might be doing is not this, and you will not be reconciled, right? You will be held accountable for your sin. You certainly will not have the fruits of biblical wisdom in your life running it yourself. The good news there is that this wisdom is available for free, right? Christ holds himself out. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's available. It's free, right? So if you're not a Christian, do it today. The elders and I will be at the back. 
If you are a Christian, but you want prayer and I need to think tactically, strategically, what should I change in my life? What should I take out? What should I put in to be spirit filled? We're in the back for that as well, right? That's what we're here for. That's what our calling is. But then, you know, think this out day to day, right? We have a moment where we stir ourselves up to love and good deeds and we come together here. But think about the day to day. Apologize to your spouse. Live beneath your means. You might find something better to do with your money. It might take some pressure off of your finances. Right? If you tend to procrastinate and waste your time, commit to something you're going to do twice a week, maybe a discipleship relationship, right? But redeem the time. Think about the brokenness. Take a step to redeem it and put it into practice in what you're doing this afternoon, right? What you're doing tomorrow, right? Small things where your first question is, how do I honor the Lord here? I find that those answers present themselves pretty readily. The answer isn't, no, hold your ground. She'll come around. You're right. She's wrong. That's typically not what the Spirit does when, when I have conflict, right? And so these answers are available. They are easy. It depends on whether you and I are willing to be filled, right? To humble ourselves, to bring ourselves in accord with what it means to live a godly, wise life. So that's it. Yield yourself. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that uh, you are the one in charge with perfect wisdom, fashioning our lives, defining reality, and then making yourself available to us to be our wisdom. Right? Holding Christ out available to us for salvation, for hope, and then for lordship as you guide our steps, as you call us into discipleship. Lord, to make your name known in what we do and what we say and the way we act. Our part actually is simple, right? Humility, Lord, obedience, and a heart that just starts from a place of worship and reverence. So God, with your spirit and your mercy, would you convict us and move us to that place where we need to be? And then, Lord, just give us the resolve to step out in that humility and in that repentance and to trust you, Lord, to fear your name and to give you praise. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.